Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray for Femi. Let's pray for him together. You can stretch out a hand and join in with me and then uh, I'll get out of the way. So yeah, Jesus, thank you for Femi. Thank you for his story and his life so far. Thank you that he knows you, that he loves you and God that you love him and that you're with him and that you're helping him. God, we thank you for the message that he's prepared with you for today. God, we pray that you would speak through him and use him and Holy Spirit, come and fill him again right now for this task before him, Lord. We pray for peace in his heart and mind as he shares with us about peace. Jesus, would you speak? We are so ready to hear you today. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Laura. So, good morning, everyone. Welcome both to everyone here in church and also online. And, yeah, as Laura said, I'm here to talk to you all about peace this week. So, um, for those of you who weren't here last week, the wonderful Kelly gave us a brief intro in this season of Advent, talking about hope and how we can find this in trust and in faith. And yeah, we're going to talk about peace this week. Before I do, full disclosure, there won't be any pampers involved in this service. I'm sorry, but I'm not really that much of a gardener. But let's just pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we welcome you here today and recognize that you are our hope in this season and that you are always faithful in your word. Pour out your Holy Spirit over us. Speak to us as we explore your word and what you have to say to us today. Amen. So peace, it's a big word, a big concept, and something you hear about talked about loads both in the church and also outside in the world as this goal that we're always after. But what exactly is it? And that was kind of the big thing that when it came to talking about peace and this topic that came to mind, what does peace mean to us? What brings us peace? So a few things came to mind. It could mean calm and quiet, having a nice walk out, outside, or is it peace for you getting under a cozy blanket, reading a favorite book, it might be getting coffee from Absolute Roasters. Other coffee shops are available, but it seems to be the only one we go to in this church. Don't ask me why. Uh, it might be tending to your pampers if you're Kelly, or it might just be maps. So, looking at the dictionary definition of peace, it comes down to freedom from war and violence, especially when people live and work together happily without disagreements, or the state of not being interrupted by or annoyed by worry, problems, noise, or unwanted actions. And there is some truth to that, but I don't think this is always peace. I mean, there is something to it, but I feel like there's maybe more. I know that if I look back as a kid, for me, several things basically were big for peace. I was basically a bit of a nerd growing up, so I loved reading, loved history, and at home I had this huge, like, bookshelf, it was probably about yay high, four and a half foot, but four foot wide, and it was just overflowing with books. I grew up basically like reading Chronicles of Narnia, um, reading Roman mysteries, combining history and reading, and just was constantly reading nonstop for like years. And it was great to just escape out into those fantasy worlds, and like you don't have to worry about anything and just explore that. And then even nowadays, Although what I do change is the same kind of thing. So one of my favorite things to do nowadays is to get out into the hills, into the uh, highlands, and just 
enjoy the emptiness, enjoy the peace, get away from all the hassles, all the worries, and it's amazing. But there's one problem with all of those things, and that it's only ever lasts a moment. Before you know it, your worries and stresses of the world come back to you, whether that's as a kid, going back to school, having to deal with homework, or these days, you get down from the hill, get to your car, you get your signal back, you've got half a dozen emails and double the number of messages and you're like, oh, I've got to deal with this. Fantastic. Life has a knack for taking away our peace. And if we look around us, even today, right now, there are so many things that could too easily take away our peace. It could be big picture things like the new COVID variant. It could be concerns about the ongoing climate emergency to much more personal things, whether it's worried about where am I gonna find the money for Christmas this year, or I've got to go and spend Christmas with some relatives, I'd rather not do that. Or it might be the first Christmas without a loved one, or you might be worried this is the last Christmas with a loved one. With that in mind, there is so much more to peace than just an absence of things. And as we look forward to Christmas, and we look at the story of Jesus' birth, let's see what it has to say about biblical peace. So we'll be looking primarily at the story of Jesus' birth through the eyes of Matthew. And I'll just read it for us now. So the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them 
until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. So while there's a lot going on there, there are just a few key points that I want to pull out that struck me when searching for biblical peace in the Christmas story. If we go back to the very beginning, we see that Joseph had just found out that Mary was pregnant and that he wasn't the father. Now, I think regardless of the age, receiving the news that you're not the father of your child isn't going to be anyone's idea of peace. And if we think about that now, back 2,000 years ago, it was even more of a big deal. So to put it into context, did a bit of digging. And typically in Jewish culture, at the age of 13, a Jewish boy becomes a man. But at that time, they would have to work and save up money in order to be able to afford a marriage. So they often wouldn't get married for several years after until they're late teens, early 20s. And then they would be betrothed. And when they're betrothed, it's a legally binding commitment. And in order to actually get out of it, you have to divorce them. And typically, in those situations, the couple wouldn't really spend too much time together. They would see each other in communal settings, but never privately. And that was often, the wedding was typically a year later after the betrothal had actually um, been announced. So if the betrothed became pregnant within that time, two things were potentially an option. Either the wife had assumed the man was inadequate and had found somebody else, or that the actual man was responsible for the pregnancy. And in a culture that was very big on shame and honor, this posed big issues. In Joseph's case, he was either facing the public humiliation of Mary's pregnancy or the shame of having a child outside of marriage. So in that situation, it's quite understandable for Joseph to decide that he wants to quietly divorce Mary as that would solve his problem and bring him peace. And it's also an interesting aside as I was digging that for Joseph, that was still not the best option because he could have gone to the law courts, been proved innocent, and also got his money back, but he decided not to go for that anyway. But having said all of that, we don't need to worry about it because God has another plan in verses 20 to 21. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord had appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
And this highlights the first key point. God's idea of peace and our idea of peace don't always line up. While we have an idea of what peace would be for us, we only ever see things from our own humanly limited perspective that's limited in us, ourselves, and the constraints of time. But on the other hand, we have a God that's all-present and all-seeing. He handles the majesty of this creation. If we look at Job, we see this as he responds to Job's complaints. Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you, here we are? With this in mind, it's not surprising that when God says something, our ideas don't line up with this. When we look up at chapter two in verses one to four, we see that the news of the Messiah's birth reaches Jerusalem and it causes an uproar. Herod and all of his friends who had this status quo and were at the top were deeply disturbed by the arrival of the Messiah, the one who was meant to bring peace and eternal peace. And when we look at the Psalms, we know that God's perspective is totally different. Um, Psalm 90 verse 4 reads, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. So let's jump back to Joseph's encounter with the angel. If we look at verse 24, we see his response. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. And here is the second point, and it was actually one that really surprised me when looking for peace. And that was that peace can be found in obedience. Now, we all know what happened as a result of Joseph's obedience in the situation. But if you think in that exact moment, Joseph has no idea. We know that there was no guarantee for plain sailing. And we see how, in response to the word of God, Joseph uproots his family, and they end up fleeing to Egypt before heading back to Nazareth. And despite this, all of this, Joseph is still obedient. Despite all the social issues that Joseph is facing, he knows that God was still in it. Despite what was coming for him by continuing with what God had said and having to deal with that shame, humiliation, he was rooted in the word that he'd been given by God. And although his situation hadn't changed, he was now seeing things through God's eyes. I don't know about you guys, but I often find that for me, I only tend to notice these things in hindsight, and it's difficult to notice them in the moment, but it still applies. I can think of a situation back, probably first two years of uni, um, where this really kind of rang true for me. First year was just an absolute whirlwind, and could go on a huge digression about that, but it was a miracle in itself. And then during this year, my flatmates in halls and I were all getting on pretty well, and we decided, oh, let's live together for second year. And we got a few other friends, and then we all decided, in our wisdom, to go and move into a 13-bed house. There's 13 of us. You can imagine how that went. It went down like a lead balloon. And during this year, I could see my friends kind of veering more and more towards like a party lifestyle, 
doing things that I wasn't really okay with, but I was left with a choice. Do I either go along with them or go another way? And as a result, I ended up leaning more into Christian Union, but that didn't change anything. I was still in this house, still in that situation, and Christian Union wasn't the magical fix. Um, it was hard going. It was hard going for a long time before things really changed there, but during that time, I had this sense that I knew that what I was doing was the right thing, was the obedient thing, and God, looking back on it, I can tell that God was with me during that time. But in that moment, it was really difficult. And if we look at the Christmas story, we see obedience everywhere. We see it first in Joseph, then in Mary, the Magi, and the shepherds, all of whom were obedient in response to the news given to them. And then the final point that I want to touch upon is how the Jews would have recognized peace, or as they would understand understand it, shalom. So the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew for the Jews to persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah. And throughout the Bible, peace is something that um, people attribute to Jesus. I mean, in the reading we had at the start in Micah, we heard that Jesus would be the one who would bring peace. Now, to the Jews, Peace was more than just an absence of war, an absence of worry. Shalom is actually much deeper. It's a completeness. It's a complex, multifaceted wholeness that leads to a restoration of a relationship between us and our creator. And the interesting thing about shalom is that it's something that we have to wait for. We look at Micah. Micah was speaking several hundred years before Jesus arrived. People were waiting their entire lives knowing that peace was coming, but they didn't actually have that answer. Even if we look in Luke, we see Simeon, one of the priests. He was told that he would not die before seeing the Messiah, but no time frame was given to him. We read that he has great joy when he has that moment and is able to be dismissed in peace. But he was just holding on to that word. And sometimes that's all we can do is that we have to wait, we have to hold on for that relationship, that complex fullness being brought back to us. But at the same time, we know that with the Christmas story, the Messiah is here. And maybe when we're looking for peace for ourselves today, it's all about serving us, putting ourselves number one. But when we look at Christmas, we see the story of peace and obedience in Joseph, Mary, the Magi, the shepherds. Ultimately, we see that in Jesus as well. The one who lived the perfect life, died the perfect death. And in his coming at Christmas, we see that fulfillment of Shalom that opportunity for us to have our relationship with God restored to a fullness and a wholeness. And when it comes to a challenge, I think there's only one real challenge for us, and that's kind of listening to God, thinking what one thing God might be asking us to do and doing it. 
and then seeing where it takes us. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to come to us at Christmas. We thank you for restoring Shalom, restoring our relationship with you. And God, we just ask for you to show us, to lead us into a deeper understanding of who you are. And we thank you for giving us a chance to walk into your presence again. Amen.